Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry puzzling us as always <laughs> with her jibber jabber. Right, Jerry? That was funny. Should we say what happened? No. No? I think we should leave it mysterious. All right. Like whether Jerry exists or not. <laughs> Oh, she exists. You know, a lot of people out there are not convinced. Yeah, still, even though she's we've shown pictures of her with her face blurred. Could be a uh, work-a-day actress. She's appeared at scores of live events and met people in person. Same actress, but with like a gig, a regular and, gig. And now. she even spoke on our Guatemala episodes. That was Stanley Kubrick's doing. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm good. Good. I'm excited about this one. This is neato. Are you a kin selection? Yeah. I thought, it was, your boat? I thought it was, you know, me, like any, you bring up the name Charles Darwin and you just see my face light up. Yeah. So, you know, that, um, that, uh, how stuff works trivia event that you and yeah. Conger hosted, uh-huh. you guys had some hard questions, but one that uh, my team got a hundred percent right. Yeah. It was a six part question. Yes. And there was a couple tough ones in there, but, uh, it was, Charles Darwin or Chuck D from Public Enemy? Yeah, Charles D or Chuck D. Right. And then uh, we named off five or six things. I think it was six. And it was basically, who was it, Charles D or Chuck D? Yeah, like, who's the pescatarian? You don't know? Well, we did. It was Chuck D. Who married his first cousin? Charles Darwin. That one I definitely knew because I remember Darwin was kind of anxious as he was learning about evolution and natural selection and genetics right that he had married his first cousin he started to get kind of worried about his kid yeah he said should i marry her and then he said it was jennifer Connolly. she's beautiful <laughs> where did you pull that one from well she played darwin's wife in the darwin movie oh well that makes a lot more sense yeah had i known that i would have been like great reference <laughs> sorry man he's like i gotta marry her did you see her and uh who played darwin paul bettany yeah well he was her husband already Oh, were they married? I don't know if they are or not anymore, but they were for a while. Oh, uh, okay. Whatever became of him? He was great. He's around. Good. I bet he's treading the bolds. Oh, yeah, I'll bet he is, too. Sounds like something he'd do. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even get to say the Jennifer Connelly movie, I was going to say. Proof. No. Let's just move on. <laughs> what was it? I can't think of the name of it. The Darren Aronofsky uh Oh, uh, Requiem for a Dream? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I gotta marry her. Did you see her in Re- Requiem for a Dream? <laughs> Man, that was a, that was a crazy movie. Great movie, yeah. but not for the faint of heart. No, no. So Chuck, we've got a whole evolution suite going on here. And this, yes. this contributes to it. Evolution, natural selection. We've covered Charles Darwin, the man himself. That's right. Um, we've done evolve and isolation. All yeah. sorts of stuff. All to put together a extinction. A suite. Yes. Bam. That's probably all of them. But um, this one's kind of like a nuanced version of it, of the evolution suite of the idea of evolution. But it actually is a, a fulcrum or a lever, something on which... A buttress? The, the, the whole idea of evolution and natural selection and what drives it, or if it's even real, kind of swings. It's easy to overlook, but there's a real problem. Like Darwin had all this great stuff laid out. 
with his theory of evolution by natural selection. And um, it basically goes, as everybody knows, a little something like this. A one and a two. <laughs> I so wish we had a natural selection song we boom, could play. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, well, it goes like this. Animals uh, need to reproduce for the species to survive. And it's hard sometimes for little eggs to survive. Harsh environments and seeds and things. Yeah. So they make lots and lots of them. That's right. That's part one. Yeah. And they make lots and lots of them because a lot of them don't survive, like you said. Um, but a lot of these things that uh, try to reproduce don't have the good genes, right? So they fail to reproduce. They've got tough skins, not Levi's. So that right. So the the tough skins tend to die out, mm-hmm. right? Like tough skins did. Instead, the Levi's continue on because they've got the good genes. So therefore, they are more apt to survive and reproduce and be successful than they are the tough skin counterparts. So what we have there is called survival of the fittest. You are reproductively fit if you are likely to go on and uh, bear fruit, as it were. Yeah. Little, and, uh, little baby fruit. Darwin realized early on, too, that variation was a big key to all this. Um, you take two sets of pigs and they have baby pigs. They're not all going to be identical. Right. Some of those pigs will have little seemingly insignificant details like, about themselves. Like brown spots. Maybe. And But it turns out that brown spots drive the lady pigs wild. It might be that easy. So this guy's mating left and right and has a bunch of kids. So his brown spots make him reproductively fit. That's right. What looks, or not even looks like, what could be a random variation could really lead to the survival of that pig and maybe an entire species. Yeah. I read this really interesting um, article on Nautilus, I think, recently. And it was basically the idea that the human body is just a hackathon of, well, we need to fix this problem, so let's come up with this. Or right. They, uh, humans started standing up on two legs, so we need to fix it with this. I love that. Um, and But if you stand back and look at it, the human body is just this really – kludgy thing held together with like duct tape and bubble gum, right? Yeah. Um, like a VW bug. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, the the author interviewed like I think 10 different biologists and said, you know, what's something you would change about the uh, the human body to, to improve it? That was basically just a hack. It was pretty interesting. That's awesome. Let's see if I can find it. Is that going to be in your uh, best things I've read this week? Post, blog post? I think so. Maybe? It should be. And you read it while you were working out on your Nautilus machine? No, I read it on Nautilus oh, website. Gotcha. And they have a clever website. It's N A U T I L dot U S. Oh. I see what they did there. Yeah. yeah. So it's Nautili dot U S. Or Nautil dot U S. Nautil us. Okay. So you talked about fitness. Uh the more offspring you have, the more fit you are right. as a parent. Right. And as a mammal or animal or whatever. You've hit the Nautilus so often that you're just totally fit if you've had a bunch of kids. That's right. Because, uh, as we all know, not all, not a hundred percent of your genetic material goes into each one of your little babies, uh, because you, you know, you have sex with someone else. And you you got to share. You got to share. Compromise. So in order to increase the chances of one of your little babies having all of your genetic material, you need, just need to have more and more babies. It's amazing. That's weird um, because I always thought that the your uh, the amount of genes that you pass on was set. Like 
50% or whatever went into your kid, right? Well, yeah, but you have sex and 50% of these genes goes in. You have sex again, and uh, then another set of your genes might get picked. I've never heard it put like that. That makes sense, though. Yeah. I always thought the more, like, the, the drive to keep having kids and, and reproduce was to, because you were going to have 50% of your, your genes out there in the world no matter what, but all those kids could, like, you know, bite the dust. Sure. So the more you have, the more insurance you have that those 50% go on. Never thought of it the way you just described. Well, it's both, though, I think. I That's think pretty like interesting. Either or. But the upshot of all of this, and by extension, the upshot of Darwin's entire theory of evolution by natural selection, driven by variation, is that you, any, any, any trait that an organism has that improves its capability to reproduce or yeah. its likelihood of reproducing is going to be selected for and that's going to lead to the evolution of the species yeah right and that the basically the whole point this is the unspoken part the whole point of everything is to reproduce to pass your genes along that's that was right. richard dawkins contribution with the selfish gene right yeah but the problem is and darwin saw this while he was coming up with his theory um was that there is behavior found in nature that does the exact opposite of that, where organisms choose, it seems, to live a life where they don't reproduce and instead help others of their kind reproduce, which is called biologically altruistic behavior. And it makes zero sense whatsoever under um, Darwin's theory of evolution. And it's just been a puzzle and a challenge to the theory ever since he first noticed it. Uh, well, I think that's a great place for a break, my friend. And uh, we'll talk about this weird thing after we get back. So Darwin um, talked a lot about competition. Uh, that was one of the big keys to his theory working is, unfortunately, in nature, it can't be like uh, elementary school uh, field day where everyone gets a participant ribbon. Uh, there's going to be winners and losers, and the winners will go on to survive, and the losers might not. Uh, but where this wrinkle comes in is what you mentioned before the break, uh, biological altruism. Um, it, it's remarkable that there are, and we'll talk about some of them, that there are species that don't even try to reproduce. So, yeah. So, there, well, there's members of certain species, right? Well, yeah, yeah. So uh, a really good example is the bee, right? A drone is a female. Mm -hmm. And a female that I think in, in some bee species are totally sterile. So they can't reproduce anyway. But even if some of them could, they don't. Instead, they go out and collect honey mm -hmm. or they collect the nectar. They make honey. They, they chew the, the pollen and spit it back up and then do that a bunch of times and all of a sudden you have honey, which, as everybody knows, is nothing but bee vomit. Yeah. Um, Listen they, to our bee podcast. That was a good one. It was great. Yeah. They tend to the uh, the offspring, the young. They bring food to the queen, who is the only one to reproduce. doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? Yeah, they serve the queen. Because not only does that – so there's, there's two things that, that – play here that make the whole thing weird. One, if an individual organism is basically here to pass along its genes, then why would any individual organism not attempt to do that, right? Yeah. 
And then secondly, and this is the real mystery, how could these traits that, um, that the organism is driven by to be helpful and altruistic rather than be reproductive? How could that possibly be passed on from one generation to the next yeah. if that organism isn't passing that trait along? It's a big question mark, man. Well, it was, and it's not proven, but uh, in the 1960s, there was a kid in school who would later go on to be a very famous <laughs> evolutionary biologist, but he was a graduate student in the 60s named William Hamilton. Yeah. He said, you know what, I got this idea. It's called inclusive fitness or kin selection, K-I-N, Jerry, selection. <laughs> not like a Ken doll. <laughs> right. But kin selection, inclusive fitness, uh, basically, uh, here's what's going on here. It's not random. When you see in nature this altruistic behavior of a part of a species, of a member of a family, uh-huh. helping, most times they're helping their family. Yeah, this is actually supported by some studies. Very famously, it was supported by a study of, um, well, a number of studies of Florida scrub jays, which are pretty little bluebirds. And some members of the Florida scrub jay species um, don't mate when it comes time to mate during mating season, right? Instead, they help um, gather food. Mm-hmm. They help defend nests and protect the eggs. They help build. They're like, here, let me build you a little sex room, brother. Right. And, you know, and, and here. protect it. I'm going to put a tie on the, yeah. on the nest. I'll bring you some food later if, if you're tired. But uh, you just go in there and do your business. Hugs, hugs his brother deeply. He's like, the whole family's proud of you. Yeah. Get in there. But I'm going to go out here and not have sex. I'm just going to stand guard and, and maybe listen. <laughs> that's, that's what the scrub jay's doing. Exactly. Uh, it's remarkable. So it doesn't make any sense, right? No. It doesn't until you investigate it through the lens of kin selection. And so um, this one study in particular um, that followed uh, scrub jays as they didn't mate and instead carried out this altruistic helping behavior, they found that uh, of the 74 relationships that were observed, 48 assisted their parents, mm-hmm. which is Family. gross. Uh, 16 <laughs> helped their father, again, yeah. Grody. Uh, seven assisted a brother. Two assisted their mother. And then one, one out of all 74 helped a stranger. And you can imagine that bird was probably just a little dim-witted. Well, I was about to say, I bet it was confused maybe. And right. I thought, like, you're my brother, right? Or the researchers were confused and didn't realize that maybe. this was their close kin. But the point is, is this altruistic behavior, this study, supports the idea that the organism, the animal, the person, whoever, is helping somebody related to them. And therefore, it does make sense in evolution because the person is helping ensure that some of their genes, not necessarily their specific genes that they are passing down through reproduction, but some of their genes through their direct blood relative, um, they're helping make sure that those get passed along. And then, then altruism starts to make sense. It's amazing. Uh, You want to hear an evolutionary biologist joke about this? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I would gladly die for two brothers or four cousins or eight second cousins. <laughs> Get it? That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. I read that and I thought, that kind of describes it perfectly. It, well. I mean, it's not very funny because it's an evolutionary biology joke. But, that's right. But it does describe it. Uh, so this happened in the 1960s. And like I said, Hamilton went on 
to write uh, books, and uh, he actually came up with math that he says proves this to be the case. Yeah, because he used letters instead of numbers, so you know <laughs> it's legit. It's actually a pretty smart little equation. It's called Hamilton's Rule. I like it. You like it? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's succinct. I can understand it. You can I, dance to it? I'm <laughs> Right. It's got a good beat. I'm I'm not threatened by it, so I like it. All right, well, should we talk about it? I know it's a little uh, esoteric to talk about a math formula uh, that is easier looked at. Well, just close your eyes, everybody, and imagine this. Okay. Uh, well, in math terms, what we're talking about, it's an individual's relative genetic representation in the gene pool in the next, in the following generation. So if you literally look at it, it's B, the letter B, greater than the letter C over R. Right. So in this case, the B is greater than, so that's the benefit, which I guess would be the um, the likelihood that their genes were passed down. Yeah. Okay, that would be the benefit. So the benefit is greater than the cost incurred by the person or the organism not reproducing, divided by the relationship, right? Yeah. So the closer you are, the likelier it is that you're going to enjoy a benefit over the cost. Yeah, there was there's a PhD uh a PhD um online named Bjorn Biems who is much smarter than me cuz I had a little trouble wrapping my brain around around how this math proves it um and we'll, and we'll we'll get into the alternative theory here in a minute proves it over the alternative theory uh-huh. of group success um and he basically said the altruistics uh, the altruist act must be at least double the receiver's fitness in order for that altruist to gain representation in the next generation. Yeah, and, and, and it makes sense. So here's how it makes sense. If you um, are going to have two kids. Yes. Um, if you did reproduce and you were going to have two kids, but instead of having those two kids, you helped your brother and he was able to have three. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they, I saw. So I saw Hamilton's rule expressed differently somewhere else, and it made it easier for me to understand. All right, let's hear your version. R B minus C is greater than zero. So if the relationship uh, coefficient um, times the benefit minus the cost is greater than zero, then go for it, says nature. Okay. Then it makes sense altruistically. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. My math brain hurts, so let's take a break. And uh, <laughs> we even bragged about how we got that. <laughs> I sort of get it. Uh, we'll take a break and talk more about uh, some more animals who do this and the idea of group selection. Right, so we mentioned the uh, the scrub jay, the scrubby little scrub jay who mm-hmm. likes to build sex dungeons for his family. <laughs> uh, we talked about bees. There are also ants and wasps and uh, other insects who serve the queen. Um, these workers, it's sort of like insect socialism almost. Yeah, working side by side for the benefit of the group. Forget the my own. For, yeah, forget my own reproduction. I want the colony to survive, and this is my job, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to do it well. Um, another example is a, 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 some animals have a call 
they will signal out, hey, there's an intruder coming family right. toward the house. Yeah. And I might be giving up my own life by drawing attention to myself, but I'm still going to do that. No, I actually did see an explanation for that that doesn't have to do with actual altruism or oh. kin selection. The, um, among meerkats, they have sentinels. Uh-huh. Anytime a gang of meerkats is out hunting, one of them is just standing up, looking very cute in all directions. Yeah, they're the best. And when they see uh, danger, they call out to a warning to the rest of the group. But um, this one study that included like 2,000 hours of of um, watching and observing these meerkats uh-huh. found that not one sentinel was killed during this time. So what's their trick? And as a matter of fact, they were the ones that get away first because they're the ones watching. Right. So they see first and then they call, but it's actually that call is not much of a cost to the individual. Well, that's a meerkat. They're super smart. What about the dumb squirrel? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Although meerkats do very famously engage in altruistic behavior themselves. Like meerkat pups can't feed themselves, but apparently they can squeal and beg. Uh-huh. And um, most of the time they will be fed, but the, the meerkat feeding them is not necessarily, in, in most cases, isn't their biological parents. Yeah. It's somebody else. And meerkats definitely have that whole village to raise a child thing going on for right. sure. Um and it makes a lot of sense through kin selection and not in other ways. Interesting. It's hard not to think of politics when you're reading this stuff in the animal world. For sure. You know? Yeah. What's well, a good model for it? Well, it depends on what you think. Well, I mean, it, it's a good model to understand it, I should say. Yeah. I saw, I had a, uh, it was funny, I was driving to, home from the grocery store the other day and there was a major intersection uh, near my house where the traffic lights were out, like, Four, four-way intersection and each one had their own turn lane yeah. and it was rush hour. And I just laughed looking around like the American political system was entirely represented. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. Some people just barreled through, didn't care. Oh, boo. Some people, uh, just wouldn't go. They were just like frozen <laughs> in fear. Yeah. Some people are like, no, you go. Well, no, you go. Well, you go. And then someone behind one honk and was like, all right, I'll go. Uh-huh. And you could just really kind of see everything uh, just like, it really opened my eyes. Yeah. And I think I, I don't know what you would call me because I'm the by the book guy. Oh, yeah. I'm like, blinking yellow doesn't mean stop. It means proceed slowly, cautiously. Yeah. But well, one it, is red and one is yellow. Everybody was stopping because it was just so crowded. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, there's definitely people who do see it the way you do and then go ahead and do that. But it does seem like humans have recently... Decided, like, no, if it's red, blinking red and blinking yellow, the people with the yellow are going to stop eventually and let the yeah. people with the red go. Altruistic act. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, uh, we teased group, uh, multi-level selection or group selection. This is something Darwin talked a little bit about in The Descent of Man, but he, his main focus was on the individual, uh, but he dabbled in it. Uh, he dabbled in group play. <laughs> uh, but this is a theory where there are these altruistic traits. No one's denying that. We see it all over the animal kingdom. Yeah. But it's not necessarily toward a family. It's just for the good of the, the whole group. Yeah, so the, the whole idea of kin selection apparently um, has been challenged, although not widely challenged, um, by the idea that if you really look at some species, the the species that are closely related, some of them don't do anything altruistically. Right. And then others that do engage in altruism don't necessarily do it for close relations. Um, so if that's the case, then the whole idea of kin selection is challenged because the basis of kin selection is that 
it, it, these are um, organisms helping to pass on some of their related traits yeah. that their relatives are are passing along through reproduction. And if that's not the case, then yeah, that's that's the question mark returns. Well, yeah, and then there's the whole thing that there are in in groups of animals, some are related, some aren't. So it's hard to tell where one where group behavior stops and family behavior begins. So you have a lot of biologists saying this is just sort of semantical. We shouldn't be arguing about this. It's sort of the same. They're equivalent, basically. Helping the family is helping the group. Right. But then uh, a few years back, a uh, very famous um, Ant-Man, E.O. Wilson, yeah. who actually, awesome guy. Like, as far as scientists go, this guy should have statues erected to him. He's a very brave scientist. He's known as the father of sociobiology. Right. Um, he also, when he was a teenager, was the first to observe and um, study fire ants when they just happened to be transported to South America as ballast, or from South America to New Orleans as ballast in a ship. He happened to notice them for the first time. Fire ants in the Southeast, red ants. Wow. He was there when they, when they came about. And oh, he ended they, up. They didn't ori- uh, originate here? No. Oh. They were brought as like, as for, in scoops of dirt from South America. Crazy. And they just took over. But he, he was a teenager and he was studying them. So he's a really great scientist, but he, um, has, uh, Attracted the ire of his fellow scientists by saying, kin selection's bunk. Yeah, he reversed his position though, right? Yeah, he was an early and longtime champion of, of kin selection and he, he apparently changed his way of thinking and now says it's group selection instead. Yeah, and Richard Dawkins, we mentioned him earlier, he's, uh, he fired back at E.O. Wilson and was basically like, you know what, dude, you're wrong. I know you wrote a book about it, but he uh, said there are quote, pervasive theoretical errors in your book, sir. And Wilson, he's, is he still alive? I think he is. Dawkins isn't. Wilson's old, though, because he oh, was yeah. 85 when in, in 2011. So uh, he'd be 90 now, right? He may be alive. I'm not sure if he's not or if he is. Well, Dawkins is, uh, Dawkins is very famous for his freeloader effect, too. Yeah, as part of the selfish gene. And that's the problem. I think that's one of the reasons why E.O. Wilson has attracted so much ire from the scientific community, because a lot of scientists built their careers on things like kin selection and explaining it. Um, and they were doing so following in the wake of E.O. Wilson, who was a, a huge proselytizer for it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this prophet like turns around on him toward the end of his life and after his own career, you know? Yeah. Um, and he, a lot of people were ticked off by it, but it, it makes sense. The group selection doesn't... Basically, it's saying, like you said... A lot of people are like, this is just semantics. We shouldn't be arguing about it. But group selection says it's not the the relatives that these organisms are looking out for. It's their group. It's their species. They're making yeah. sure their species continues along. And that's enough for an altruistic act to exist. Yeah. And so, like I said, um, with all these other scientists that were upset by this, Dawkins is included, and one reason Dawkins would be upset about that is because he wrote The Selfish Gene, yeah. which helps explain kin selection yeah. uh, and altruism. And, uh, yeah, he was taking shots at E.O. Wilson in the press over the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, his free letter effect, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, is basically he said, you know what, um, you get a, a, he called it a mutant freeloader. One of these freeloaders can take it down, take down this altruistic society or species because they're just lazing about and they have more time to have sex and reproduce and they can reproduce faster. So everyone else is out there working for everybody. 
altruistically, mm-hmm. is freeloaders just having sex and having babies. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the gene that gets carried down the most. Which, yeah, I guess that supports kin selection. I don't know. I'm not sure either. I'll have to read the selfish gene and find out. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I do too. But then also, Chuck, um, with the whole idea as well of whether kin selection or group selection explains anything, if you are helping somebody, if an organism helps uh, a related or just a group organism reproduce, mm-hmm. and that organism who gave up reproducing was going to have two kids but only helps that other organism have one, then isn't that a net loss for the species or the family? Well, yeah, but I think that's what that math formula was all about, all about is, is it has to be double or else it's not uh, going to keep happening. I got you. So I wonder then if there's been study that shows, yes, it's typically double. I think that's what he said the math proved. Huh. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Biologists going nuts on one another. Yeah. And we're just sitting on the sidelines eating popcorn talking about it (laughs) if you want to know more about sociobiology and other stuff like that including kin selection or group selection you can type in kin k-i-n into the search bar at howstuffworks.com and it will bring up a pretty interesting article since i said kin it's time for listener mail uh i'm gonna call this companion to the previous listener mail finland rules and i'm gonna call this sweden rules Uh uh-oh Starting some static, huh? More crazy Scandinavians. Uh, hey, guys, long-time listener. Just finished with the dark money and want to give you some insight about our socialist paradise of Sweden. Uh, yes, we do pay quite a bit of tax. A regular Joe pays about 30% uh, of his or her income as tax. If you earn more, you pay more tax. Uh, there's also a VAT tax on everything between 6% on food to 25% on everything else. So, yes, we never stop paying the man. So what do we get? Well, uh, we're guaranteed health care. Uh, there is a small fee, about $10 for a medical situation. But after that, it's all free. Uh, x-rays, cancer treatments, it's all free. Also, you can, uh, if you have enough visits to the hospital, I guess you get a punch card. <laughs> you get a free card, which means you don't even have to pay that $10 or pay for medicine. Sweet deal, he says. Uh, school is naturally totally free. We actually even get a salary for attending university. About $300 a month is a stipend. All for huh. free. Uh, we can also take out a student loan with very affordable payment plans that don't kick in until after you graduated. Uh, makes it common uh, that makes it so it's common for all people of all ages to go to university. Uh, and lastly, we have kids. Uh, when you have kids, the parents can take out 480 days of paid paternity leave. Oh yeah, the U.S. is so far behind other industrialized nations. Yeah, they're like that. two weeks and then good luck. Right, get back to work. And we need you responding to emails the whole time too. Uh, if they, I must say, our company had a, a more generous leave than that, so I wasn't talking about us. Okay. Even for dads. Yeah. Um, if they take an equal amount, they get a bonus payment. Um, after that, there's a system of kindergartens that takes care of the kids until they reach uh, school age. Again, free. Uh, we do have some problems, of course. A lot of the health care has been privatized in recent years, which hasn't been all great. Uh, also, there's a movement of xenophobia sweeping the nation fueled by the terrible refugee, uh, refugee situation in Europe. The third largest political party has its roots in far-right, anti-democratic, even Nazi movements, is what he says. That's really surprising, because usually they point to the rise of things like that as uh, the result of economic woes. Yeah. 
it doesn't sound like Sweden has too many economic woes. So, I mean, what accounts for that? I don't know. We'll have to ask. We need a follow-up. He says, uh, on the whole, it's a great place to live. Thanks for the show. Uh, Edutainment at its very finest. And that is from Gurren Beckstrom. Great name, GB. He said, if I can pronounce his name, I get a prize. Oh, yeah. Gurren Beckstrom. He's going to send you his thumb. Because <laughs> you got it right. That'd be great. Uh, thanks, Gurren. Uh, I'd like your other thumb. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. As always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 